Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word handy, would you be turning to John chapter 3? The Gospel according to John and chapter number 3, and we will meet there in just a moment. We're grateful that you are here and the time we can spend together in study. Uh, we're always thankful for our men who lead us in our services, but uh, appreciate Charles and the uh, time and attention he puts into picking out songs and to thinking about leading us in our singing. Always appreciate uh, Brother Joe's prayers, heartfelt prayers, and how much they encourage us and Jerry, Jerry's thoughts as we thought about the Lord's Supper for just a few moments. I uh, hope that you can, can focus. Some of you have started smelling that uh, smell of smoke a little bit wafting from up here. I, I think I need to clarify that I, I may take a little bit of blame for this. Uh, yesterday, I had an opportunity to go visit with Bill and Sylvia. I had a great time and needed to drop something off there, uh, but visited with them for a little while. And we were making the comment how uh, at various times when Bill had been up here before that things happened, you know, to preachers, whether it be birds flying against the, the glass, you know, when they first were putting the stained glass in or little critters, you know, or something. And I mentioned that uh, Hannah's dad has always had a story about a bee, you know, flying around one time and he's trying to swat at it and avoid it while he's preaching and still keep, keep preaching. And most of you are familiar with the story of one of the times, I believe, that, that Bill was preaching on either hell or the Holy Spirit and smoke started coming out from up here and so I made the statement yesterday well you know what none of that's happened to me yet and so maybe this is my fault I don't know I, I don't believe in jinxing people but uh, but I made that statement yesterday that nothing has happened while I've been up here preaching yet and of course uh, may have a little bit of a smell coming from the heat today but uh, hope that we can focus for a few moments through this we're glad that you're here uh, I do want to say as well we're uh, thankful always to see Marvin uh, with us when he's with us but you know we sometimes make note really only in our vacation Bible school period, you know, with our children, but we always give out a ribbon for the person who brings the most visitors, and I think Marvin wins that award today for bringing the most visitors with him, but we're thankful for all the family uh, that has been with Marvin and Ann, and uh, thankful they're with us this morning, and look forward to uh, visiting in just a few moments as we uh, conclude our services. If I ask you what you knew about John chapter 3, would you be able to, to tell me anything? If I just said, you know, John chapter 3, what, what would come to your mind? Well, for most of us, of course, and probably many people in the world, they think about John chapter 3 and verse 16. It's often called the golden text of the Bible, and rightfully so. It's such a, a beautiful passage that reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's great, and, and many people know it. Some people, many people can quote it even if people don't always maybe believe everything that it teaches. And we can, we can get into that in just a few moments. For some people, if you think about John chapter 3, you know the story, or at least part of the story, of Nicodemus. That's what we're going to talk about this morning is Nicodemus, who he was. We're going to ask, ask, excuse me, actually going to answer three questions this morning about Nicodemus, who he was, what happened to him, and, and what he was taught. And I think it would be encouraging for us to go back and think about exactly what takes place with this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. Very often, if you think about Nicodemus, you think about John chapter 3. But can I encourage you this morning, if you've opened up in your Bible, to go back to the end of John chapter 2. Because as we set the stage for what's going to occur as Nicodemus approaches Jesus, it kind of begins at the end of John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 23. Now, when he, that is, of course, Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in 
man. Now, of course, in our Bibles, our English Bibles, we usually have a break. We have a period. We have the end of some numbers, and we begin chapter 3. But what takes place here is that people are noticing the signs which Jesus did. And there's an interesting thought as we think about John chapter 3 and verse 16. And what we're going to talk about today with this interaction with Nicodemus, what's interesting to think about here is that people believed. People believed. But Jesus knew their heart, of course, or their mind, or what they were really thinking, and he knew that they had faith only. You see, there's this discussion about faith only or just believing. He who believes will be saved, and that's certainly true, that the Bible uses different ways of telling us what a person must do to be saved. But some people will hear that and they'll say, well, all a person has to do is believe. But isn't it interesting? At the end of John chapter 2, that there are people who are believing, but Jesus will not commit to them because he knew their heart and he knew that all they had was belief. All they had was faith. And so we begin in chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Who was Nicodemus? Well, there's some things that we know. First of all, this morning, we know that he was a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. Man of the Pharisees, of course, is we have talked about the Pharisees very recently in some of our lessons about Jesus. We've talked about several things so far in the month of January this year about uh, different interactions that Jesus had. And this is another one where we see and read about what the Pharisees were doing and the trouble they were trying to cause. The Pharisees was a, a sect, a group of people who were, were very uh, strong with tradition Uh, We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in our sermon, but the fact that they would would ignore what Jesus is saying or they would be putting on uh, the right actions, but their heart would not be changed. And, And Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees. He was also a ruler of the Jews. We would believe that to be that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. You're familiar with that term, that phrase, the 70 or 71 uh, group of men who were uh, leaders in, in Israel or of the Jews, I guess if you would say. Uh, they would r- rule and legislate on religious things. And, and we see them throughout John and really the accounts of the gospel as Jesus, they are seeking after him. And then as he gets before them, they're going to be trying to make these decisions. They're after him, so to speak. They continue to send people after him. So he was, we might say, I didn't put it in your notes, but we might say he seems to be influential. He seems to be a bit of a high-ranking official who was probably well-known among the people. Man of the Pharisees, ruler of the Jews. What else do we know about Nicodemus? Right here we know that he came by night. Now, I don't know if you're familiar, there are some uh, so-called spiritual songs maybe or or, uh, songs that people have sung over the years that talk about Nicodemus and Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. We see that at the beginning of verse number two, this man came to Jesus by night. So we know that. Now, one of the things that we don't know when it came to Nicodemus is why. Why did Nicodemus come to Jesus by night? Well, I'd be willing to say, we could go around the room maybe and take a survey, but I'd be willing to say if I force you to give an answer, most people are going to say, well, I've heard a preacher or a teacher say before that this man, Nicodemus, was a ruler and a leader among the people who are seeking to kill Jesus, and since he's a member of that, but maybe he's interested in what Jesus is saying, he's afraid. He's afraid of his peers. He doesn't want to be seen with Jesus, so he comes by night. 
And the answer to that is, well, possibly. I, I mean, I guess so. That's, that's one reason maybe why. In my reading and research and, and thinking about this, someone else said, you know, well, maybe Nicodemus came by night because it was the only time that he could really talk to Jesus, right? I mean, if you've read the gospel accounts lately, you recall as you go through there that he was constantly thronged about by people. If it were us, and we were not the son of God, of course, deity, but if it were us and our days went through like that, we would probably dread the sun coming up. I mean, right, because of all the people. You remember how hard it was. One of my favorite stories growing up was of the men, the man who could not walk and his friends bring him and they go to the roof and they tear a hole in the roof and let him down because that is the only way they can get to him. So is it possible that Nicodemus realizes that the only way that he will get an extended audience with Jesus or a time to speak with him is by doing it at night? Well, that's a possibility as well, I guess. So we might say that while we know a few things, there are also a few things that we don't know. Let's look at this passage just real quick. We won't read every verse, but you may recall that in verse number two, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus is saying that he, they recognize, or at least he recognizes, that Jesus is a teacher or a man from God. Well, why is that? Well, hearken back to the end of chapter 2 and notice that it was because of the signs. Nicodemus must have been a person who observed these things and then he believes that Jesus is, notice very carefully, a teacher or a man from God. Unless, you, uh, unless God is with him. He is not going so far as to say that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah but he does recognize that only a person who is with God or God is with him is able to do these things. And so Jesus answered in verse number three, said to him, most assuredly, I don't know which version you have in front of you, but I have the New King James that says most assuredly, you may see truly, truly, or verily, verily. There's a whole lesson we could do on the times that Jesus uses this particular phrase. And if you'll notice, he does it again in verse number five. And, of course, this simply means that this is an important teaching. This is something, hey, listen up. Most assuredly, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused, of course. We're familiar with that. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him again. Verily, verily, truly, truly, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let's go through verse 8. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone, so is everyone who is born of the spirit. We'll stop there except for just to note that in verse 9 Nicodemus still does not seem to quite quite be comprehending what Jesus is saying. So we ask again, how can these things be? And Jesus leads into more discourse. We'll talk about it again in just a moment, quite possibly, but notice that verse 16, John 3:16 comes in the middle 
of that. It's not a standalone verse. It's not highlighted as the greatest thing that Jesus ever said. It was all important, but it comes in the context of him speaking and answering these questions of Nicodemus from verse 10 on down through verse number 21. Then the answer includes, because we will come back to this in a moment, verses 14 uh, and 15 with even an a reference, an Old Testament reference, if you will, going back to Moses and the serpent that would be lifted up. And Jesus says, even so must the man, the son of man be lifted up. So we know a little bit about Nicodemus here, but let's notice as well then, what was he taught? Well, I would suggest that many people could answer this. Nicodemus was taught that you must be born again. Now, it's interesting, if you do a little bit of the word study here, you kind of go into the Greek language and think about the way it was originally written. The word that's translated here can also mean born from above. Born from above. That also brings some interesting thoughts to us as we consider that. This new birth is from God. One must be born again, or he might could also say born from above. Most people like the idea of being born again, or, or excuse me, I guess I should say, like the idea of using that phrase, because we think about Jesus does go on here to talk about that there should be two births of a person. In a sense, there is a person is first born physically, and he's saying now you must be born spiritually. A person must be born again, but it goes on. I don't think I included it in your particular outline unless you're taking further notes, but Nicodemus is taught as well after he asked the question about entering into his mother's womb again. He's, he, then Jesus answers and says to him, one must be born of the water and the spirit. The new birth of which Jesus is speaking is possible by being born of water and the spirit. You know, Sometimes when we don't go further into this particular account, Jesus, we don't notice, but Jesus actually agrees with Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus asks this question, which to us we take as kind of being, I don't know about sarcastic, we'll come back to this in just a minute at the end, but, but kind of not understanding, and he talks about entering into his mother's womb again, but Jesus agrees. He says in verse number six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. He says, you're right. That which is, deals with the physical birth deals with the physical birth, but that's not what I am talking about here. And let's notice together that one of the key teachings as we think about being born again and born of the water and the spirit here is a formula, if you will. It's a formula. What we think about when we think about being born of the water and born of the spirit as we think about partaking in this new birth, just as those in the New Testament could do, we see that the Spirit, being born of the Spirit, would carry with it the idea of the Spirit's teaching. We think about the fact that Scripture is given to us by God, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so how are we to be saved? How are we to enter into the kingdom where we are to be born of the Spirit, or we might say the Spirit's teaching? But as well, there's the idea here of water. One must be born of water. And you know, sometimes when people disagree on Scripture, we talked about this over the course of a couple of lessons, but many people will go through, we might say, mental or word or spiritual gymnastics to get to a particular answer out of Scripture. 
They'll flip and they'll flop and they'll turn and they'll do everything to make a passage say what they want it to say. And this is one of those places where you can find people who will tell you something different here than what Jesus is saying in in John chapter 3. But we notice that there is a formula of the Spirit's teaching, hearing what the Spirit says, and baptism, of course, of water being immersed in a watery grave just as, as Jesus was buried, rising again just as he rose again, and then one can enter into the kingdom. That is the answer that Jesus gives in verse number 5 to Nicodemus' second set of questions, or, or I guess the, the first time that he asked questions there after he first speaks. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Another thing to notice here of importance is that the, is the word accept. In this case, and even with us today, in our English language, the word accept means if and only if. You see, as we talk about things that we might disagree on Scripture, some people might say, well, I think Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he was afraid. He was afraid of his peers. Okay. Well, I think it might be just for some other reason. Okay. But one thing that we cannot disagree on, we must agree on, is that Jesus says here, if and only if one is born of water and the Spirit. That is how we can enter the kingdom of God. But you know what? That's not the only place. I have a chart that I'm going to put on the screen, and, and I, we're going to, I'm going to go through the passages, hopefully not too quickly. If you'd like this, because it's going to be hard to see and maybe get down, but I can always get you a copy of this. But you see at the top there, if you can make it out, John 3 and verse number 5, Jesus is teaching there. But look at the other passages, and you can see the columns line up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, Paul would say, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. We see that the Spirit's teachings are involved there. We are baptized into of the body. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 and 26. If you're familiar with that, that is the passage on husbands and wives, right? Talks about how husbands and wives should t- treat one another. But it says in verse 25, husbands loved your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word the instruction is there the washing of water and then a person is cleansed titus chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5 paul would write to titus but when the kindness and the love of god our savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved he saved us how through the washing of regeneration And the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And Mark chapter 16 verses 15 and 16 that you are familiar with. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel. Gospel teaching. The Holy Spirit's teaching to all the world. To every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Notice that this formula that Jesus lays forth here is then taught by inspiration of the Holy Spirit later as these men would write. 
Even as Jesus says again in Mark 16 there, verses 15 and 16, the encouragement that it is by the teaching, it's not by predestination that we're just chosen. Well, you're chosen and you're not chosen. I'm sorry. Good for you, bad for you. That's just the way it goes. No, a person can hear. Hear what? Hear the word. Hear the gospel teaching. Hear the Spirit's instruction. They can be baptized. They can be born again of water. And they can be cleansed. They can be saved. They can enter into the body. They can enter into the kingdom. And notice in verse number 8, if you're back in John chapter 3, whether you turned away or you might turn back. John chapter 3 and verse number 8. Jesus concludes that section of speaking to Nicodemus by saying, The wind blows where it wishes, but, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Notice here that Jesus speaks about the wind. And he says, when you see the wind, you don't actually see the wind, right? What you see is the effects of the wind. You might hear the effects, but you see. You see trees blowing or moving or you see paper going along the ground. You don't actually see the wind, but you do see the effects of the wind. And what he's saying here is he talks about one who is born of the Spirit is, you know what? When a person is baptized for the remission of their sins and they come out of the water, you really can't see it on them, right? I mean, they're not any wider per se. We talk about being white as snow, having our sins washed away. They're not any wider than they were before. A, a person who is black, uh, black-skinned or brown-skinned does not become white. A white person does not become whiter in a sense. Some people, you might have heard this said before, but some people say, well, you know what? I don't see any sins floating around in the water. You know, where are those sins? Well, you don't see the sin floating in the water when a person rises again and their sin is still there on the top or something like that. But you can see the effects of a person who is born again, who is born of the water and born of the Spirit. You can't see someone born of the Spirit, and in that sense that you can physically see it, but you can see the effects. They should be changed. They are changed. You might, a person might walk in, you might see him again after a week or so, and you might say, you know, something's a little different. You seem a little happier. Maybe they're not speaking the same way they once did. Maybe they're telling different jokes than they once did. You might see it in a sense but certainly we don't see it on their skin or the dirt being removed from their flesh as we talk, talk about. But notice this is the formula that Jesus gives. And one who is born of the Spirit, you maybe can't tell with a halo over their head or something like that. But you can see the effects just as we can see the effects of the wind. So that's what he was taught. And it applies to us today as we think about this chart and these other teachings. But what happened to Nicodemus? You know, I told you at the beginning some things that we know. There are a few other things that we know. And he's mentioned two other times in the gospel according to John. It appears that the faith of Nicodemus grew over time. Maybe it didn't blossom to its well known among the people. But it appears that his faith might have been there. And yes, it appears that it might have even grown over time. We know two more things in these accounts of Nicodemus that we read about. In John chapter 7, really the whole chapter there is kind of the, you know, the continuation of the story. In verse number 32, the Pharisees, there they are again, heard the crowd murmuring about Jesus, about these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. They dispatched the police, so to speak, the guard to go after him. And so in verse 45, these guards... 
these that they send after them, these officers come back empty-handed. And, and the Pharisees and the chief priests say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you back here? You don't have him with you. Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered and said, no man ever spoke like this man. And how true that really is. The Pharisees answered them, verse 47, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And in John chapter 7 and verse number 50, we know it's Nicodemus because John gives us the parenthetical statement that it is him who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, being one of the chief priests or the, the one of the members of the Sanhedrin here, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? We know that, or we can assume maybe that Nicodemus' faith grew because here he defends Jesus. It's almost if you can imagine the scene that they're gathered around, they're angry, they're upset. The officers are sort of cowering in fear because they know they didn't do their job. The anger, the discussion is ratcheting up and getting louder and out of the shadows. Maybe from the edge comes Nicodemus with a bit of a quiet courage. And he simply says, hey, you guys are out of line. Because we, in our ruling, and our laws, allow a person to defend themselves. Are you not going to do that? And of course, they turn to him in verse 52 and say, are you with him? Have you sided with this Jesus? And of course, they're just kind of trying to drum everyone up into a, uh, into a fever pitch there. But Nicodemus comes in John chapter 7 and defends Jesus. Now let's look at John chapter 19, because the second, or I guess I should say third time that we read about Nicodemus in John's account here is John 19 and verse 39. And Nicodemus, and John says it again, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came with who? Well, with Joseph of Arimathea from verse number 38, who had asked to have Jesus' body that he might bury it properly, put it in this tomb. Nicodemus also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. We might surmise again that we don't know for sure, but it's possible that Nicodemus was wealthy. He's able to purchase maybe these things and to bring them with him. But the other thing that we know about Jesus, or excuse me, about Nicodemus is that he helped with Jesus' burial. We see that he came to Christ in chapter 3. He spoke for Christ. In chapter 7, and he honored Christ in chapter 19. We may not know great details about his faith, but it does seem like he grew a little bit over time. And while we know these two accounts here from John chapter 3, chapters 3, 7, and 19, if you, if you turn to chapter 19, stay with me there for just a second because I'd like to challenge you for just a moment with a bit of imagination. Think about again what we said in John chapter 3. In John 19 and verse 18, it says, where they crucified him, as we talked about just a week or so ago. We know that Nicodemus interacted with him or about him two more times, but imagine with me for just a moment the crucifixion. As we said, John chapter 19 and verse 18, there they crucified him. What did that entail? Well, as we've mentioned in the previous sermon, one thing that it was going to entail was the raising of Jesus up. Can you imagine Nicodemus 
standing there possibly on the edge again, a back away from everyone watching. And as he sees Jesus lifted up, he goes back to John chapter 3 and verse 14 in his mind, where Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, as a Pharisee, as a member of the Sanhedrin, when Jesus says that in John 3, Nicodemus would have known what he was talking about. But at the same time there in John 3, Nicodemus is probably saying, what is he saying? What is he talking about? I don't get it. He's standing here in front of me. Why is he saying that the Son of Man must be lifted up? And yet, can you imagine in John 19, that light bulb going off as Nicodemus standing there sees Jesus be lifted up and maybe remembers exactly what he said? Or can I take you a step further to John chapter 19 and verse number 30? As Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, John said, he cried, we might also read. We might also imagine he screamed or said there in the moment in his suffering, it is finished. Can you imagine Nicodemus standing there hearing those words and remembering what Jesus said about being lifted up and things finally just coming together for him and understanding exactly what Jesus was talking about. Hopefully he did. I have to think that he probably did. He remembers coming to Christ, defending and speaking for Christ in honor, and then he's going to honor him after that moment. As we conclude the lesson here, let me ask you to consider one more thing. Why did Nicodemus not understand in John chapter 3? Right? We, we give him a hard time. It's kind of like Thomas. I think I've told you this before, but some people get really frustrated because we give Thomas a so-called bad name because he doubted, and we even call him Doubting Thomas. We can kind of get a knock on Nicodemus and say, why wasn't he getting it? Why didn't he understand what Jesus was saying? In particular, when Jesus says in verse 3 that you must be born again, why does Nicodemus ask those two questions? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And in fact, you notice in John chapter 3 and verse 10 that Jesus even seems a little bit, not put out, but he just kind of corrects him, maybe gently reprimands him by saying, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? So why is it that Nicodemus did not understand? I saw one writer offer up three particular choices here. And see if you might see yourself in these or have seen yourself in these before. Some people say that maybe Nicodemus was being sarcastic. Yeah, who are you talking about being born again? Can I enter again into my mother's womb? He's being sarcastic to Jesus. But somebody might say, but you know what? He becomes a believer. He's already believing a little bit because he has seen these signs. So that doesn't quite fit. Maybe though, maybe secondly, he was dim-witted. Like spiritually speaking, maybe it didn't just connect. We see the apostles sometimes not, not having things line up. And so maybe he was dim-witted, but I would also submit to you there, he was spiritually minded. I mean, he was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, so he, he kind of understood some of these things. So I don't know that it was just that he was too dim-witted and couldn't comprehend these spiritual thoughts. But someone even suggested maybe what Nicodemus is saying is, well, I'm simply too old. You know, that's the first question that's mentioned there. He kind of suggests this idea, I'm too old. I have come too far. I am too late in life. I cannot go back. I've done too much. Have you ever treated Jesus any of those ways? Either sarcastically, 
answering what he said sarcastically? Have you ever maybe just kind of missed the boat, needed someone to help you, to teach you the things that Jesus had said? Or have you ever thought, well, you know what? I'm too old. I've lived this way for so long. I've done too much in life, and I cannot be changed. I cannot be born again. I cannot be saved. We are thankful for God's simple plan of salvation that is extended to us even today. As long as we have breath in our lungs and blood and our veins that we can continue to live, we have an opportunity to respond to the gospel invitation. As we think about those things that Nicodemus might have thought, maybe those have crossed your mind before. Maybe you thought, I can't be changed. I can't be saved. I've done too much. I've come too far. It's not for me. We are thankful for God's simple plan of salvation, and we extend heaven's invitation to you in just a few moments. As we sometimes say, it's not that the water is magic. It's not that the preacher is magic, that the elders are magic, but that we are simply sharing what the word of God says. The one who is the righteous judge, the one who has told us how we can be saved, the one who has said you must be born again, being born of water and of the spirit. You can do that this day. Maybe as you see this on the screen each week, you have questions, you'd like to know more, we would love to study with you as soon as possible. Maybe you're here, and, but you've, you've done that, but you've wandered away. Maybe as a Christian, you've allowed sin to enter your life, and you've struggled with the things of this world. You've turned your back on God, you've separated yourself from Him, and you stand in need of forgiveness again. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that we have to be baptized over and over and over again, but of course we are thankful for God's second law of pardon, that we read about in the book of Acts, how a person who is a Christian can repent of their sin, confess those, certainly before God, but even before a crowd such as this, and pray for forgiveness, and God is willing to do just that. We are thankful for that opportunity. You don't have to leave wondering with questions on your mind, worrying about your life. You can either be born again, born of water and the Spirit, being baptized, allowing the blood of Christ Christ to wash away your sins so that the Lord can add you to his church, or you can come back to him. We are thankful to be assembled together as a body to sing this song that's been selected to encourage you, even now as we stand together and as we sing.